Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Mel Vincent, welcome to this second episode of Core Satellite Avoid on the Australian Investors Podcast. Hello, Owen. Nice to be here. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good. So we're doing this second episode because people seem to really love the first installment that we did. Just take a look at three different investments and using the core and satellite framework, which is having kind of a core wealth building blocks and then the more exciting satellite positions, or as a financial advisor would say, that's a strategic asset allocation for the core and tactical asset allocation for the satellite. We basically look at all of these different investments that the community wants us to look at and we pass judgment on them. So it's a bit of fun. Yes, it was really fun the first time. So today we're kind of looking at what some people have written in. There was a few that kind of stood out and they're all kind of focused on the international ETFs. So they are three different providers, three different strategies. But I think as we kind of talk, as we continue, you'll notice that there are a few um, overlaps in terms of like the sort of exposure and some of the stocks that you're going to see in them. So we've got the iWorld ETF, I-W-L-D. We have the Qual ETF, Q-U-L-Q-A-L rather. And we've got the FANG Plus ETF, which is F-A-N-G. Now we've talked a lot about FANG recently because uh, we've been on the roadshow. Uh, so that one will be easy for us. And many people will be familiar with that because we talk about it a bit, or at least uh, Drew Meredith has been on the show recently. So if you want us to talk about different things, write into us and um, we'll cover whatever you want. We've had a lot of people send in things like actively managed funds, some stocks as well. Uh, we had someone write in and say, take a look at Australian Ethical, the company. Uh, so we'll be doing those types of things. And we've even got a few in the bank already around ethical investing and so on and so forth. But maybe we can just jump straight into it. The Qual ETF, Mel, what does it do? Q-U-A-L. So it is the Bannock MSCI International Quality ETF. The ticker is Q-U-A-L, as you said. So Qual is designed to give investors exposure to a diversified portfolio of international companies listed on exchanges in developed markets around the world. So kind of the three reasons to consider that Vanek talks about is they identify companies with high quality scores based on three key fundamental factors. That's return of equity, 
stable year-on-year earnings growth and low financial leverage. It's exposure about 300 companies across a range of geographies, sectors, and economies. However, it is 75% US exposure and the investments are focusing on companies with quality characteristics um, that have delivered outperformance over the long term relative to global equity benchmarks. Okay. So there's a fair bit to go on. Yeah. (laughs) So basically you get 300 companies and they're weighted based on three different methods or they're identified based on three different methods. One being high return on equity. So basically the profitability of a company, like a higher return on equity would be a good thing. Uh, You've got stable year-on-year earnings growth or what they call uh, earnings variability, which is basically suggesting that they're looking for companies that have profits firstly, but also the profits tend to be consistent. It's not like wildly profitable one year mm-hmm. and then wildly unprofitable the next year. Kind of like maybe you'd see with um, like resources companies or businesses yeah. that are very cyclical in nature. So you tend to, to see it avoid that. And finally, low financial leverage. So just looking for businesses with uh, less debt. They say low financial leverage. It doesn't necessarily mean they've got no debt because of many of the biggest holdings in this ETF indeed have debt. But just avoiding that, which makes a lot of sense, right? Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, just kind of going off the holdings. We have, as they say, it is a lot of different sectors, but it is quite heavy to that kind of tech space. So Apple, NVIDIA, Microsoft are large holdings um, within the ETF. But then you've got kind of like your consumer. So you've got Visa and then Nestle, which obviously is a super well-known consumer brand. What do they have? Nesquik. I remember drinking yeah, that when yeah, I was a yeah. kid. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so then um, obviously, you've got medical as well, which obviously NVIDIA and then and Johnson & Johnson. I think AstraZeneca and a few of those pharmaceuticals are also in the ETF. Yeah, I think I can bring it up here for people that are watching on YouTube, but um, we've got NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft, uh, these types of businesses in there. It's just in short, I think it's a really good ETF, Mel. I think it's kind of like sensible in how it goes about it and what it gets at the end of the day, like gets inside the portfolio. It's $4 billion invested in the ETF so far, um, which makes it one of the biggest ETFs in the country. Its fee load isn't that bad at 40 basis points, so 0.4%. That's pretty reasonable for like a factor-based ETF. So this is a factor-based ETF, meaning that if you go back, I think it was to the 70s, some academics basically suggested that the returns from the stock market as a whole can be explained by three different variables or factors. And since then, the industry has kind of exploded to many different factors. Like you've got like the size factor, which would mean that you target small or large companies. You've got like the value factor, which means you target cheap companies, like on a price earnings ratio basis. Uh, You've got quality factor, you've got the growth factor, you've got the momentum factor, and it just keeps going on and on and on. And this is a a quality factor ETF, meaning that they're trying to target quality companies. And that requires a little bit more work because they have to put the index together, right? But um, the thing that I'm going to take offense to with the Vanguard, uh, sorry, not with the Vanguard, with the Van Eck methodology is actually just in the way that they explain what it actually does. Yeah, quite confusing. Yeah, incredibly confusing. Probably one of the, I would go so far as to say that this is potentially the most confusing description of what the ETF actually does in Australia because I'll let you be the judge, dear listener. Here's how they describe it. The index is calculated with a four-step process. Number one, this is from them, 
The eligible universe of securities is defined as the securities in the parent index. Number two, the quality score is calculated for each security in the universe based on the following fundamental factors, return on equity, earnings variability, and debt to equity ratio. And then it jumps down through some other stuff. Number three, the securities are ranked by quality score and a fixed number required to cover 30% of the market capitalization of the parent index rounded up to the nearest 25 are selected with the aim of attaining a high exposure to the quality factor while maintaining sufficient market capitalization and number of securities coverage. Individual issuer weight is capped at 5%. Number four, securities eligible for inclusion are weighted as follows. Quality weight equals quality score multiplied by market capitalization weight in the parent index. So if you managed to get through all of that, this is back to me now, and understood what they said, you'd probably be like Einstein or something like this, because that is potentially one of the most confusing descriptions I have ever read about what an index ETF is doing. Because I, and I was looking at other analyst research, and it seems like other analysts were confused by this as well, because it seems like they just accepted whatever it said on the Vanek website, <laughs> um, reading the other analyst reports. And so what I mean to say here is like investors should be able to understand what an ETF like this does in very simple terms. Even if it is slightly complicated, they should be using examples. They should be using better disclosure for investors. And I think the PDS is also not good enough, in my opinion. So this is me taking offense to the way that they're communicating and educating their investors rather than say that the ETF itself, I think the way they've done it is sensible. And just to break down my interpretation of what they're saying is that at least say 30% of the companies that end up in the portfolio should be represented in the main universe. So like, feel free to use that definition if it's correct, Van Eck. But I just think that was like, that's a very poor kind of way to educate people on what the actual thing does. And this brings us into a different conversation, which we wanted to talk about Mel, because I think you and I both wanted to bring in one kind of like educational lesson and for the people in every one of these core satellite avoid episodes. And that is around index weighting and how ETFs and even active funds tend to go about choosing the position sizes inside the funds. So maybe I'll let you go with what might be some of the most common and some of the questions people have. Yeah. So I suppose the two like most mainstream or most common would be market capitalization and then equal weight. There are other ones, but that's kind of the ones that you see a lot with like passive issuers. So market capitalization would be the weightings of each of the holdings would represent the size of the stock or the company. And then equal weight would be simply that every every stock has an equal weight within the portfolio, which you actually find in FANG, which we're talking about next. So I think, I mean, I as a person would be interested and I'm sure other people would be interested in what are the pros and the cons of the different types of weighting structures? Yeah, sure. So this is a good question. And a lot of people probably don't fully understand what this means. Uh, in my experience, even financial advisors probably don't fully understand what this means. So when you have a market capitalization weighted index, effectively what you have is the largest companies at the top mm-hmm. and the smallest companies at the bottom. So at some point, the ETF provider or the fund manager, whoever is creating this product, has to basically cut the tail off and be like, this is enough. This is representative enough of the index. And what you have is, of course, you have the biggest companies in that particular product representing most of the return that you get from that over time. So say, for example, take the S&P 500 as a good example. In the S&P 500, you've got like Apple, 
Uh, you've got Microsoft. You've got all these big tech companies. Mm-hmm. Now, if those tech companies continue to do well, they'll explain most of the return from that index. And this is indeed what we've seen over the last year from the NASDAQ index, which has 100 companies and a lot of tech companies in it. It's mm-hmm. widely known as like a tech index, but it's more than that. But that's say there's a lot of tech in there. And what we've seen is that the top 10 or so positions from the NASDAQ 100 have powered ahead over the past 12 months, while the other 90% have really, really struggled. And that goes to show that if you didn't have exposure to the market capitalization-weighted methodology, you would have lost lost out in a big way. You would underperform dramatically. Yeah. So that's a reason why we have market capitalization-weighted. But there mm-hmm. are some deeper issues. Like, for example, people believe that when you have the biggest companies getting the biggest positions and the ETFs are buying those, that it can create what we call momentum. So... Yeah. It means that like in a bull market, when the market's going up, people are buying more of the big companies because they're so well known mm-hmm. and the ETFs are too and the fund managers are too because they have to kind of be close to the index. And so that further drives the valuations up. That's one criticism. But the reason why you would use a market capitalization weighted index is because it's probably the simplest way to capture the essence of a successful company. So if a company is more profitable, typically it gets bigger because people are willing to pay more. So like companies' profits go from $100 million to $200 million, but the price-earnings ratio, say 10, stays the same. Just by the earnings going up, you get a company that's twice the size. So you're benefiting as those companies get more profitable. And that's probably like a very strong benefit for it. But let's say, for example, you have an industry where, an industry where there's a few things that could happen. The first is where, say, Australia, here in Australia, you have a lot of banks and you have a lot of resources. So what you end up with is like BHP, Commonwealth Bank, ANZ, Westpac, NAB, uh, Rio Tinto, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So in an equal weight environment, in an equal weight product, all of those different securities would weigh the same at the rebalancing day. Mm -hmm. And in effect, what you're doing is you're saying, because Commonwealth Bank and BHP are the biggest companies, what you're saying is it doesn't matter how big you guys are, you guys are still capped by the equal weight methodology. So we're going to take some away from you and give it to a smaller company. And the reason why you would have that in your portfolio is because you believe that the big companies, you don't want too much exposure to those companies. So the basic idea is you have these equal weight strategies in industries that are dominated by a few players that you want to reduce the exposure to. So another way to think about this is when an index is top heavy, and narrow, you don't want to have all of your portfolio exposed to that. And people that have, like, say, like the VAS ETF or any type of blue chip Australian shares exposure will have so much exposure to the banks and resources anyway. They don't need to have more of it so they can equal weight it. And that's why the Van Eck one is so popular. And there's an MVW. But if you take the equal weight approach and you apply it to a really diversified stock market like the United States, it tends not to perform as well. Yeah, because you're obviously getting a lot of the emerging companies rather than those big blue chip. Yeah, exactly. So you're getting companies like in the United States, even though Apple and Microsoft and all those are so big, they're still growing really fast. So to not have exposure to them is probably going to hurt you. Um, Whereas in Australia, we do have tend to be more mature in our market and it's quite concentrated and narrow. There is other weightings methodologies that become more interesting, like you saw with the Van Eck one before. For example, you can get really artificial or customized weightings methodologies. For example, the Global X Hydrogen ETF, I think from memory, does this. And 
basically what it does is it tries to identify what might be a pure play business, what might not be, and it tries to take different opinions or views on, depending on the type of company that's coming through into the portfolio. And those can work, and you should really understand those when you're picking those style thematic ETFs. Those can work when the industry is really uncertain or really early stage. So if there's no clear winner, you might want to have really broad diversification and different rules in place to avoid hype stocks or like meme stocks. That's my kind of explanation. Do you have any follow-up? Shall we move on? No, I think we should move on. I think that was a really good um, explanation. So yeah, just kind of talking, going back to the Vanek qual, where do you think it should fit in a portfolio? Core satellite. I've struggled with this one for a long time because I think it could be both, but I think it depends on what you have in your core already. If you have IVV, the US S&P 500 ETF, I wouldn't have qual in my core because it it would be too much overlap. Unless you're happy to have, for example, say you've got 30% of your portfolio in US stocks or global stocks, you might have them as the same weighting side by side. Just And what you would get in effect is a slight more tilting to quality shares, but you'd also be paying more in fees. So I don't actually think it's worth it having both side by side. I think if you're going for quality companies, just go for an active manager in the core with the IVV or just qual. Like don't have like both side by side. I just don't, I just don't think it's that worthwhile. But I think it's a, a great ETF. Just wish Vanek would clean up the how, like the messaging that they use to describe what it actually does. How about you? I suppose if I was looking to build out my core, this would be like a really good ETF to choose, especially if you are looking for quality companies. But I suppose, as you said, if I already had exposure to an ETF, which is broad-based, skewed US, I probably wouldn't pick it. But if I was looking to build something out, then this would be something I would consider. Yeah, cool. Like it. Cool. So should we go to the next one? It is the Global X Fang Plus ETF, which is ASX ticker Fang. So this is something that we're hearing a lot about at the moment. This and Qual were actually, I think, probably the two most requested ETFs to talk about or for us to look into. So Fang stands for, I'm going to let you do it because I always stuff it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, it used to stand for Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Now Alphabet. <laughs> yeah, now it's like Facebook, Amazon, Apple. Well, it's not even Facebook. It's Meta, yeah. Amazon, Alphabet. Netflix, what is it? And Microsoft is in there too now. So there's like, it's really like whatever you want it to be nowadays. It's kind of just like Fang. We just associate Fang with big tech because that's what it used to be, but it is definitely not that anymore. And even this ETF itself has changed around quite a bit. So yeah, it has. Basically, how they kind of messenger is investing in companies that are the leading edge of next generation technology. And that includes household names like your meta, like your alphabet, and then some newcomers. And like you said, they have changed the index recently to include some probably lesser known companies, which you can maybe talk about briefly. Uh, so it's 10 stocks. They're all equal weighting. So 10%, 10 stocks each. And then it's great for investors who do want to get exposure to the leading tech giants that you would know about. We were kind of talking about a lot during the roadshow AI and how people are really interested. Some people are really interested in getting exposure to it or how you know, there's so many advances at the moment. It's hard to keep up, but there are some of the 
stocks within this ETF are kind of at the forefront of that. Yeah. So we've got uh, Meta, Amazon, Alphabet, NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Tesla, AMD, and Snowflake in this ETF. So many businesses that people would be familiar with as kind of being exposed to the, you could say artificial intelligence kind of revolution um, or arms race. And then you've got a lot of the traditional technology companies that we know that do social media or platform-based companies. It's such a simple ETF. And that's why I think people love it because it's just like household names, big tech is what I want exposure to. And for the better part of the past few years, people have been extremely well rewarded with this, Mel. Like I know you know this because you used to work for GlobalX, right? So you know how how well received this ETF has been. Over the past three years, it's compounded at 18.86%. And in the past year, this is as of the 16th of August, 2023, the yearly return, year over year return is 39.9%. So just incredible returns in a short period of time, keep that in mind, from this ETF. And it's basically so easy to understand that people are just like, well, I won't open an international share brokerage account and buy Facebook and Google and all that. I'll just go and buy this ETF on the ASX and let it do it for me. Yeah, well, I mean, sorry, I cut you off. Yeah, I mean, like that's like one of the benefits of ETFs in general is that we don't have to open up an international brokerage account. We don't have to deal with all like you know, the paperwork and the tax implications. ETF providers just do it for us, which is really handy. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just like it's an Australia domiciled ETF, which means you don't have to fill out that W8 Ben form. You don't have to open a brokerage account. You don't have to research what the insurance means for US brokerage accounts and if they're safe and all that sort of stuff. You just buy the ETF and they'll do the rest for you. Just to bring up the NASDAQ 100 ETF as an example, right? Because I just said a minute ago that this isn't a perfect comparison, but I just said a minute ago that the FANG ETF has returned about 39.9% over 12 months. Now, this is just to the end of July. So this isn't a perfect comparison, but the NASDAQ ETF has returned 26% in that time. Now, with that ETF, you get the top 100. But the reason I bring that up is just to illustrate what we said before, Mel, which is that the NASDAQ captures 100 shares and the FANG captures 10. And what you're basically getting with this is you're getting the top 10 of the NASDAQ. Not perfectly, but pretty close to it. And that just goes to show that the biggest companies in these industries have dominated all the rest. Yeah, they really drive the performance. Yeah. So like, I think the FANG ETF is great. I think it's 40 basis points, 0.4%. Yeah. Yeah, uh, actually, I think it's 0.35 now. 0.35. Okay, I'll just get my mm-hmm. notes up again. Yeah, it is. You're right, 0.35. So it's a really you know, well-priced ETF. takes away the complexity of building a core or a satellite position. I think some people would use it in their core, like as a long-term holding to complement something that they already have. Like, you, in my opinion, you wouldn't have this as the only exposure to global shares. Like, I just, I just wouldn't have that. It's nowhere near diversified enough to be the only exposure. But some people might say, well, I've got the VGS ETF, for example, from Vanguard, or I've got this other global exposure. I'll put this in as a smaller position in my core to really just focus a bit more of the portfolio to these big tech companies because I believe that they are really impressive companies. They've got decades or a decade to grow yet. So that's how I'd probably frame it. But also, like Drew, who appears on the show every week, Drew and I have spoken about this and said that it's a pretty awesome satellite play, to be honest, because you get what you pay for and you get a really pointy technology ETF. So yeah, I think it's a good product. How about you? Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, I agree. It could be core or satellite. And you're getting these companies that they're at the forefront now, but they're probably going to be at the forefront of everything because they're just acquiring new companies. So I don't think you're going to get some sort of rogue technology company coming up on top of it. I think they're going to dominate in this space for a while. So I think it could be either. I think if I had like, yeah, like BGS from IVV, I could probably put this on top of it. Or if I just really wanted to play to the kind of innovation in this space, it would be a satellite. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's a good ETF. Full disclosure, GlobalX is a sponsor of our finance podcast here. So not this one, but the other one, just as an FYI, not paid to mention it. It's just purely just as an FYI. I think it's a good ETF and it's good to see it performing well. And because for GlobalX, like we obviously look at all ETF providers all the time. And uh, this is like a one of the products amongst many that they have that is a true, like could be a core solution for some people. So I wouldn't be surprised to see GlobalX do more of this, given how successful this one has been in their high yield products, like the income focused products. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them do more of that. But yeah, it's, it's a really interesting ETF. And we've got one more to go, Mel. Maybe your favorite, because you own this one, if I'm not mistaken. I do own this one. This is actually my first ever ETF investment. It is the iShares Core MSCI World X Australia ESG ETF. ASX sticker is IWLD. So... What does it do? It is it allows investors to access a broad universe of a large and mid-cap developed market companies outside Australia with better ESG practices within their industry. Now, the ESG index screens to avoid companies engage in serious ESG controversies and selected activities based on revenue thresholds. So that's like weapons. Tobacco. Yeah. Things like that, right? Yeah. Exactly. And then it's internationally diversified. So yeah, but again, like all of these, I say international diversified, but it is got a heavy exposure to the US of 71% thereabouts. Someone actually gave me an interesting thought when thinking about these sort of ETFs that are heavily US exposure. Yes, it's US exposure, like heavily US exposure, but most of these companies would be operating and generating significant revenue outside of the US. So even though says US, you are getting a lot more than just So this is a really interesting thing. That's a really good point you bring up. So a lot of people miss this when they think about, even if they're not using ETFs, even if they're just using stocks, a lot of people just go by whatever the sector category is. So they'll go into their ComSec account and they say, oh, look, Telstra's in telcos or or communications and uh, BHP's in resources and then Newcrest Gold Mining is in materials or whatever the case might be. And they'll be like, oh, look, it looks like I'm diversified. But Telstra could have telecommunications clients like BHP and Newcrest. So they're exposed to those industries as well, even though they don't operate in them. And so depending on the business, it can be geographically diversified. So one of the great things you should focus on if you're an individual stock investor or an ETF investor or whatever is where do these companies actually generate their revenue? Like where do they actually operate? And um, where I'm recording this on a Mac, you're recording that on a Mac. I've got an Apple headphones in, I've got you know all this stuff around me. We're in Australia, right? But if you only looked at this ETF, and you said, well, it's 71% US and Apple's a big holding in it um, or whatever. I don't think it is actually in this one, but that's okay. You would say, oh, well, I'm probably not diversified enough. But there's one final thing that I add here, Mel, which is that if you have an all-world ETF, like similar like this one, this one's all-world ex-Australia, excluding Australia, that's what that means, and it ends up with 70% US, what it's actually telling you is it's actually a market capitalization weighted ETF because it's saying to you, 
that 70% of the world's companies are in the United States based on the value. So it's actually automatically reweighting to different geographies throughout the world, depending on how valuable those companies are. And we know that the US has the most valuable companies in the world. So it would naturally weight there. And then in 20 years, it might be China or Europe, and then it will reweight back there. So it's like market capitalization on top of market capitalization, just with an ESG flair. <laughs> you know, so I've got a question for you then, Mel. Mm-hmm. Was this the first ETF you ever bought? It was. And why? Why did you buy this one? So I wanted international exposure just because Australians in general are naturally overweight. Australia, whether that be, you know, through stocks or through an, an ETF or also like through your home. I think people forget about that as well. You know, you're investing everything, but people have homes in Australia. So a lot of your exposure is already in Australia. So I wanted exposure outside of Australia. And I wanted, this was a few years ago that I bought this. <laughs> I wanted um, to kind of remove certain industries just because I do like things that are a little bit more ethically or not ethically, but socially conscious yeah. exposure. However, having said that, like I have exposures that are probably definitely not. <laughs> ethical or sustainable, but I wanted at that time to be tilted towards that. Yeah, cool. That's fair enough. And a lot of people do do this. That's why we have these products. That's why we have these financial investments that you can make. Like The good thing about this ETF in particular, it's got about 700 holdings, is that the fee for it is actually quite low at around about 0.1% or 10 basis points overall. The reason why I say that's good is because a lot of these ESG, sustainable, blah, 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 blah type ETFs, probably just gouging consumers or investors, basically. They're effectively just like putting an extra fee on top of something just because it says ESG or ethical or whatever you want it to say. And that's just ridiculous. Like it's, you know, we can debate till the cows come home about whether or not the ETFs are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing and whether it actually has an impact. But at the same time, regardless, people shouldn't have to pay extra for them. And with this ETF, you don't have to. So, it's actually a really interesting choice. We spoke about, I think we spoke about Ethi. Was it Ethi not too long ago? Yeah, as an alternative. Like that's one of the biggest and most popular, if not the most popular ESG style ETFs in the country. So overall, you basically get global companies less some of the more popular ESG characteristics or environmental, social, and governance style risks that people want to avoid, uh, which is a very big thing. And MISCI, MSCI, uh, who create the index that this index tracks is one of the biggest forces for providing this type of research. Like they are one of the leaders in actually reviewing companies' corporate governance, reviewing companies' carbon emissions, and these types of things. So it was interesting when we looked at this, though, right, Mel, because this ETF was the only one of these three that didn't own Apple, or at least we couldn't see that it owned Apple. So I am not sure why Apple wouldn't be in this portfolio. I don't know. I mean, we could guess, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting you say I would be interested to know exactly what their framework is for removing companies because obviously every provider, every index provider has a different set of rules. So I'd be interested to know exactly what those rules are. And they do break it down in their like extensive documentation around this. And at the end of the day, it can come back to revenue thresholds like a tiny little bit here or there, or it can come back to things such as companies just simply being involved in something, which maybe is a legacy issue, but the ratings 
agency or whoever did the rating on it for an ESG is including that that legacy issue. So it was just really interesting that that was the one exception across these three ETFs. In short, you're probably going to get a very similar ETF to what you get from any of the really global diversified ETFs like in terms of the revenue and as on the revenue, the return and the risk metrics. I think what you'll probably find is that this ETF is probably most like the broad-based global shares ETFs because it's so diversified with 700 shares. And so you'll have less volatility than, say, the FANG ETF, which only has 10, and you'll have less volatility than, say, the Qual ETF. Just one final thing on here, Mel. What tends to happen with these ESG or sustainable style ETFs is they end up tilting heavily towards tech. So we see that 23% of this ETF's portfolios are in tech. The second thing you tend to get is healthcare. Uh, in this case, it's 14% down the list. So bottom line is you end up, if you go for sustainable style companies, you end up basically just pushing your portfolio further into tech. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is when you go with the quality style ETFs, like the Qual ETF we mentioned earlier on, you also tend to push your portfolio towards tech. Yeah. So in my opinion, you just have to be very mindful of having, say, Fang right beside iWorld. Yeah, that makes sense. You might be comfortable taking a huge bet on technology companies globally, which maybe I would be, to be honest, but you just got to be aware that that's what you're getting. Yeah. And I suppose there would be like other things to consider as well, depending on, you know, if you have an Australian, an Australian exposure, obviously a lot of those are the Australian indexes um, weighted heavily to financials and to resources. So when you're constructing your portfolio, maybe you want to have access to or exposure to those sort of companies as well, or maybe not if you're interested in ESG. Yeah. Yeah. But in short, I would probably have this position in the core holding. I couldn't really see it as a tactical holding for anyone or a satellite holding, but core holding I think is a good one. And yeah, you just wouldn't have it side by side VGS or something else like that. No, yeah. It'd be a good core if you're interested in tilting your portfolio towards that ESG um, if you're looking to build it out, which I think a lot of you know young people are interested in that sort of uh, exposure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. just to recap the list, we've got FANG, which could probably go either. I'd probably I'd just be mindful of where you put that if you have it in your core. That would for me would be more of a satellite mail. And I mm-hmm. think you said could kind of go either way. Yeah. Yep, the Qual ETF, really high quality ETF, uh, no pun intended. It is a good ETF. It provides exposure that you want. It's just the comms that are a bit of a shame there uh, from Vanek. And so that could probably go in either. But for me personally, it's probably more of a satellite like position yeah. just because of the fee load. Mm-hmm. Um, just don't double up on many things there. Uh, and finally, we have the iWorld ETF, which is probably in your core portfolio, I'm guessing. It's actually probably not now. It's probably just oh. something because I haven't reallocated to it. I have chosen another ETF to kind of re- not replace because I still have. I haven't sold it. It's also from BlackRock, so I'm not, you know. It's, but um, <laughs> yes, it w- I would put it in my core if I was ethically conscious. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Well said. And we also did a recap of the different methodologies that people use or providers use to weight portfolios. If you're an active fund manager, we can also cover them. In a future core satellite avoid segment, we will be including active managers. For example, the research you've done on the emerging markets um, episode that we're about to do in that there's two active managers and we can Mm -hmm. talk about how portfolio managers will create weightings in their portfolios. Mm -hmm. But 
with every episode of Course Out Loud Avoid, we're going to review what you want us to review. And then we are also going to provide the, the kind of the education around it so that you can apply that to other products or ETFs or investments or shares or whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. So please keep writing into us. We've had heaps of positive feedback to these shows. I was saying to you, Mel, it was, uh, it was easily the most overwhelmingly positive feedback we've had on any of our podcasts to a new segment, like from one pilot episode. So yeah, it's awesome. So kudos to you for carrying the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to do the next one. So thanks for joining me. Thank you. Cheers. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.